Welcome back to You Ask For It. Uh, If you're new here, this is a podcast in which Pastor Steve and myself walk through biblical doctrine. We walk through the questions that you submit about the Christian life. But then oftentimes we, we will even walk through just what our faith is about and why it matters. We've been in this series for a while where we are walking through the Apostles' Creed and we are coming close to the end of it. And we've been taking it line by line. And tonight, what we've come to is the phrase, the forgiveness of sins. Now, if we looked at our culture today in the world in which we live, we would say that the society we live in does not truly believe in forgiveness. For instance, we have, it seems like cancel, cancel culture is everywhere, that we are no more maybe by our faults than we are by the things that we do well. And, and we'll write somebody off and never give them another chance. Yes. I'll give you a great example from my day and time. Richard Nixon. Uh, I remember when he was uh, reelected in 1972. It was a landslide. I don't remember so much about the first one because I was a young teenager. But, um, I, but I remember watching him resign on TV. That was a momentous moment. The saddest thing for me with Richard Nixon was when he had his funeral. Because every time the name Richard Nixon was said, within the next sentence, it would be Watergate. They could never say Richard Nixon without Watergate. Now, Watergate was horrible. But he did a lot of good during his two presidencies. Uh, He opened up China. He started the arms control things with Russia. There was a a lot of things that he did well. He won a landslide victory in his second re-election. But it's always Richard Nixon, Watergate. He was branded. The, The world never forgave Richard Nixon. Jesus was dealing with something similar when he was in the time in which the Gospels were written because the Pharisees that that he was working with, they did not believe in forgiveness either. For instance, if you read the Gospels, what you'll see is them say statements like, this woman is a sinner, you know, that's just who she is. Or Jesus, his main problem is that he's eating with sinners. The Pharisees, they branded people much like the Scarlet Letter in in Hawthorne's book. And maybe the way in which we see this divide between how Jesus understood life and forgiveness versus the Pharisees that he was talking with comes in the parable that he gave in Luke 18 about the Pharisee and the tax collector. Let me read this to you, and and you tell me if you can see a difference between the two people. Starting in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Can you imagine that? A man who's an outcast simply says humbly, sincerely, God be merciful to me. He went home forgiven. The other guy didn't. So it was the sinner who cried out for mercy, went home forgiven. Now, when we're talking about believing in forgiveness of sins, you've got to recognize that it's not something just that's not found in our society. The the thought of forgiveness as an act of grace cannot be found in other religions. 
In Ephesians 1.7, here's a great verse. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The fact that God could just graciously forgive us based on what Jesus did when he died for us is unheard of in other religions. I'll give you some examples. Uh, some of our church was with me in 2001, I believe it was, when we went to Israel and Egypt. During our stay in Egypt, we had, a, 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 I think, a very um, pleasant Muslim guide, a female, and she was trying to explain her faith to us. She was a Muslim. We were in a Muslim land. And she said, well, this is how, what we believe. She said that we believe that you'll never know whether or not you're going to be able to go to heaven until you die and stand before God because you don't know if your good works outweigh your bad works. So that was a Muslim explaining that. So in other words, there's no forgiveness You've just got to hope that you can prove your worthiness by adding good works to overcome the bad works. By the way, Brother Andrew, in a book on the Muslims, talked about the fact that one of the reasons why suicide bombers and the 9-11 terrorists were attracted to giving their lives was because the only guarantee in Islam that you'll go to heaven is if you die with a sword in your hand fighting for Allah. And so it's interesting because the suicide bomb, the suicide plane people on 9-11 actually spent the week doing things Muslims aren't allowed to do. They were going to strip joints and drinking alcohol. Both of those are forbidden because they knew as soon as they died for Allah, when those planes crashed, they'd be automatically in heaven. That's the only guarantee. Hinduism and Buddhism both believe in two things, reincarnation and something called karma. They don't believe in forgiveness at all. They believe you will be punished for every one of your sins, but this is what they do. They stretch that punishment out, not just in this life, but into the next. So if you are born with something congenitally wrong or you are in, born into poor circumstances, then what's happening is that God is punishing you for sins in your past life. And so that's one of the reasons why the caste system where there were the untouchables down below that had such a horrible existence, they didn't bother to help them. Oh, leave them there. They did something in the last life that caused them to be punished like this. They've just got to hope they'll do better in the next life, in, in this life, so they'll have a better time in the next life. And that whole point of reincarnation has led them because you don't know that you'll come back as a man or you might come back as a cow. Uh, they don't kill the rats that eat their rice because they could be killing Uncle Jim. They wouldn't eat a hamburger because it could be their mother-in-law. And that brings mixed emotions to me. But uh, so, um, so, um, so that's, there's no forgiveness in other religions. I better turn it over to you. <laughs> <laughs> it, is not, it is nighttime, which you say the filter comes off at that point, right? But I would say the, the good news for all of us today is that in the Bible, we actually have great promises about forgiveness, and they're all throughout the Scriptures. Uh, let me read you some parts of Psalm 103, this incredible psalm. It says, My soul, bless the Lord, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. My soul, bless the Lord, and do not forget all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. And if you go down to verse 10, he has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love towards those who fear him. 
As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. This incredible promise of forgiveness that is there in Psalm 103. But then we see this in in Luke chapter 24. Jesus is speaking and he says this. This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And, and, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. You see, there's two, there are basically two fundamental needs of every single person in all of the world. The first one is eternal life. Every single person is searching for eternal life. That's the reason we have all the religions that we have. The good news that we have today is we receive the promise of eternal life in John 3.16, which we as a church say every single, every single week. But the other need that every person has is the forgiveness of sins. Think about every other religion. You are looking for a way in which to make up for what it is that you've done. And the Bible offers a way, a way to find true forgiveness. And that is in, that is in Jesus. Church, that is why the gospel is such good news. Nothing else in the world offers what we receive in Jesus Christ. In the Bible, there is great promise for forgiveness. I love this. Even if you trace this to the first sermon for that, that towards a Gentile, which Peter proclaims, you see this very promise of forgiveness. In Acts chapter 10, it says, He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Can I tell you what is so beautiful about the Christian faith? What we find in the scriptures is that the, that the biblical forgiveness that's offered to people of the world is something that no one else, that nothing else can offer. In the Bible, you find a forgiveness for people who really don't deserve it. And every one of us in this room, we fall into that category. We're people undeserving of that. There's a great story about Charles Finney when he was um, preaching one night, having uh, one of his services, and he was preaching on a text of 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. It says, The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Well, a stranger came up to him, and he asked if he could walk home with him to have a conversation with him. So Charles Finney said yes, and what ended up happening was, is this man then ushered Finney into the back of a building and then locked the door behind him. Let me read to you what happened next. This man said, do not be afraid. I just want to ask you some questions. Do you believe what you preach tonight? I most certainly do, replied Finney. We're in the back of a saloon and I'm the owner. Mothers come in here, lay their babies on the counter and beg me not to sell liquor to their husbands. I turn a deaf ear to their cry. When a man leaves here, we, we see to it that he's well under the influence. More than one man has been killed on the railroad tracks after leaving here. Can God forgive a man like me, this man asked? I have only one authority, Finney said. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The stranger wasn't satisfied yet and asked, If a man doesn't spend all his money on liquor, we take him to our gambling hall and fleece him of his last dollar with marked cards. Can God forgive a man with a heart like that? Finney, once again, I have only one authority. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The stranger still wasn't finished. He said, across the street is my wife and daughter. Neither has heard a kind word from me in five years. 
Their bodies bear the marks of my brutal attacks. Can God forgive a man with a heart like that? And Finney lowered his head and he said, you've painted one of the darkest pictures I've ever seen, but I still have only one authority. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The story says that that night, that man became a new creature in Christ Jesus because of what is offered to us in him. I think we forget, it takes stories like that or reading the Gospels to remember how scandalous forgiveness is. That God forgives people that we would never forgive, that we would say shouldn't be forgiven, yet he does. Now, here we are with the statement of faith where you say, when you say the Apostles' Creed and evangelicals say it, uh, high church Protestants say it, the Roman Catholic Church says it, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. But there is a distinction when our Catholic friends say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And when we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, we, we have two different thoughts in mind. We believe that the minute you put your faith in Christ, your sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. It's an act of grace. It happens instantly. But the Catholic Church teaches that this forgiveness only comes if you go through continually through the sacraments. You start off with the sacrament of baptism where all the sins up to baptism and all the sin of Adam that could send you to hell by itself are washed off. That's the reason why babies have to be baptized because they're born with Adam's sin. Then you've got to go to penance and confess your sins. You've got to go to mass. You've got to continue to go those things. And then at the end, you've got to have last rites. But forgiveness is not something instant. It's not something guaranteed. It's something that comes through a process. But we believe what Jesus said in Luke 24 when he gave his great commission, all the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him, that's all, receives forgiveness of sins. That's the gospel. So we've kind of given this definition of forgiveness. The question that we want to ask now is, how then does that belief in the forgiveness of sins affect the life of a Christian? It's not enough for us just to understand what forgiveness is. we got to know how it affects our life. Two, just two truths. The first one, if you were in our services on Sunday, Pastor Steve and myself, we walked to this first point, and that is this. Knowing that we are forgiven, it should give us a peace about our past. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a peace with God now because of his forgiveness. But then also I love Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. It says, For I will forgive their wrongdoing, and I will never again remember their sins. Mm. An incredible truth that we hear about forgiveness here, that we are, yes, forgiven, but then also those sins are Amen. forgotten. Amen. They're gone. There's a story about Martin Luther and him having a dream one night. And in this dream, he found himself being attacked by Satan. And what happened is Satan rolled, uh, unrolled a long scroll containing all of his sins, and he held it before him. And on reaching to the end of the scroll, Luther asked the devil, is that all? To which the devil then pulled out a second scroll, and he <laughs> rolled, went through all of that second scroll. And then after the second, there came a third scroll, and he went through all of the sins on the third scroll. But now the devil had no more to, uh, to be there. I think maybe he was more generous to himself in that dream right there, right? <laughs> and, and then Luther responded to him something very interesting. He says, you know, you've forgotten something. He said, quickly write on each of them, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sins. It didn't matter that Satan was unrolling all this, these scrolls of his sins because the beauty is the blood of Jesus had cleansed him from all of that. So often what we struggle with is allowing those sins to stay buried there. 
And, and I, if I could say this, what we also struggle with is forgiving ourselves. Amen. And if we could learn to f- that Jesus forgives us, then it could allow us to forgive ourselves. Carl Memminger was a psychiatrist, and he had a string of psychiatric hospitals. And he said this. He said 80% of his patients could go home tomorrow if they could just believe that they were forgiven. Now, when we talk about we believe in the forgiveness of sins, we also take another emphasis of the New Testament. We believe in giving people the forgiveness of sins, that when we've been done wrong, we should forgive other sins. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as, as God also forgave you in Christ. So if I believe in the forgiveness of sins, I've got to forgive the people who have done me wrong. Uh, I love this story about uh, about uh, uh, Robert E. Lee. I know you're not supposed to use his name anymore, but he was such a gentleman, and we Southerners still hold him in high esteem. But after the war was over, he continued to be a gracious gentleman. Uh, one day he was walking through a town, and there was a woman who says, Come here and see my yard. And there was a tree that had been an elegant, beautiful old tree, and it had been hit over and over again by enemy artillery, and it was just a shattered uh, hulk that was no longer even close to what it was before. And she said, you see what those Yankees did to my tree? You see what those Yankees did to us? I can never forgive them. What should I do? He said, cut down the tree. He says, time to stop looking at that and go on. If you don't, it'll poison you with bitterness. I know this, I've had to cut down some trees in my life. Have you had to do that? I know I had one rough church, and thank God it was only one. And I had great people in that church, but there were a couple of people that I, that, that I, I was done wrong by. I remember when I came here, I came here from that church, that it was two years later, and one day I was sitting in my office, and I was still ruminating on all the things they did wrong to me. It was almost as if God was saying, can't you get over it yet? You're long gone. You're here and they love you. (laughs) It's time to cut that tree down. And I think we have to go on and not let bitterness creep in. Now, there are two difficult truths about forgiveness that I want to make sure we talk about really quickly. And the first one is this. Forgiveness does not remove the pain. We're talking about forgiving others. Um, Yeah, forgiving others. It does not remove the pain. When you are offering that when you are the one that's been hurt, you can't just assume that it's going to magically go away. It doesn't mean that you're going to just naturally be able to forget about what happened. We are often left with scars when we have been hurt. You see, just like our, just like wounds on our body, our hearts often have to go through a time of healing, even after we have offered that forgiveness. So here's what this also means. If you are the one who is receiving forgiveness, don't assume that everything is going to be rainbows and butterflies after you have apologized and they've forgiven you. Words and actions, they cut deep. In deep wounds, they're painful for a while. You know, I use this sometimes when I'm counseling with a couple where one has been unfaithful. And so here, they say they're both Christians, one has been unfaithful. And the uh, one who's been unfaithful, God convicts him, her, goes and gets forgiveness of God, and he's just so anxious to be reconciled to his wife. And sometimes he's, I've had them come to me and say, why doesn't she just forgive me? Why doesn't he just forgive me? I've asked him. I've been repented. And I said, well, here, let me, let me give you this analogy. You got dirty, and you got a bath. She got wounded. Mm. It takes a while for a wounded scar to mm. heal up. Mm. And so you've got to realize it'll be taking time. Second of all, forgiveness also isn't just sweeping things under the rug. 
the, sometimes one of the worst things that we can do is just say, oh, it's okay, you know, it's no big deal. It is a big deal. What happened, it hurts and it is hard. And it's also, and we also say this, it's also not trying to just bypass a problem because you don't want to deal with conflict or deal with a deeper issue. You see, you sweep enough stuff under the rug and what you end up with is a very noticeable mound that you have no choice but to deal with at that point, right? And I can tell you this, it is much messier to deal with a mound of dirt than it is to clean Mm -hmm. up a speck of dirt. So that's why we have to deal with these hard things that are in front of us. Now, finally, here's how we want to close tonight. I found this article um, from a Christian counseling center that offered some steps on how to practice true forgiveness. And I think that's what we really want to make sure we do. How do you actually do this to, uh, to practice forgiveness? And let's walk through those very quick. The first thing this person said was we've got to acknowledge the pain. Don't try to stuff the emotion down. Don't pretend like the pain's not there. It's there. When we get cut, we bleed. And when you've been hurt, it hurts. And so you've got to acknowledge that. And forgiving others will be a hard process because you really were done wrong. Then the second thing he says, think things through. Make sure you've really thought through everything. I mentioned to you that there were a couple of folks that that did some things that wounded me while I was at the last church. In the years that have followed, I really couldn't think about it at the time because I was so wounded by what they were doing. I went went back and thought through with one particular man and and said, now why in the world did he act so? Why did he treat me the way he did? And I could sit back and think, if I had just done a couple of things differently right when I went to that church, I think I would have had him on my side. Now, that doesn't justify what he did. But when I got to thinking back over the life, I thought, now, I've got to learn a lesson from this and make sure I don't repeat that in the future. So think it through. But the other thing is imagine that you're on the other side. And so I thought about this particular man and what position he was in and how he must have felt about a 32-year-old pastor and and uh, upsetting the apple cart and all of that. And and so I've, I've been able to have more sympathy for him because I put myself in his shoes. That's the third step. The fourth step you have to do is you have to then remember God's forgiveness. You have to reflect on what it is that he has done for you. Reflect on the fact that he laid down his life for you and he forgave you of all the sin that you've been holding on to. And so here's why this matters. If we have been forgiven much, how could we hold on to the grievances that have been committed against us? If God can forgive us for what we've done, then we we got to build that into the next step. The next thing you have to do is then reflect on the biblical command to forgive. Jesus made it very clear multiple times in the Gospels. We are to forgive how much? Seven times 70 and a, a large amount, more than even makes sense sometimes, we are called to forgive. Doesn't mean the pain's going to go away, but we are called to forgive them for what they've done, which then leads to the point number six, and that is this. You then have to let go of the hurt. See, the devil is an expert at getting a foothold when we have made a choice to forgive, but the wounds are still there. And what you have to do is not to allow yourself to replay the offense over and over but to let go of the pain determine that you're going to choose to move forward. Kind of like what you had to do two years later is finally, mm. this can't fester anymore. i, I got to keep going. Cut that thing down, yeah. And then quickly, last two things. The point number seven you have to do is continue to forgive. Forgiveness is not a one-time thing. This is a continual process of your life to where you are constantly going to have to practice forgiveness, probably with those same people that have hurt you. And then finally, and this is big, finally it is to pray for the person who has hurt you. In Matthew 5, 44, Jesus commands us, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
Ask God this. Ask God to reveal his love to your, um, to reveal his love to your offender in your heart and for him to dissolve negative emotions. Look, is there any, is there any more powerful witness of God's transforming grace than someone who can display true forgiveness to the unforgivable? I mean, that right there, if that doesn't look like Jesus, then I don't know what does. Mm, Yes. That's our eight steps today. And with that, I want to end by saying this. Forgiveness is not easy. It's not, but it's necessary. It's a necessary part of the Christian life. And why is it? Because we know for ourselves, it is the only way that we have access to the Father is because of his forgiveness. So as the Father has forgiven us, church, may we also forgive others. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast as we've walked through forgiveness. I know we've covered a lot of material, but I hope this is helpful for you as you talk through how you can go about forgiving and then also receiving forgiveness as you walk through that. Join us next week as we will have some more conversations about the Apostles' Creed.